Ruby G, welcome to the Renewed Life podcast. Thanks for having me. This is uh, Colby and I met one another approximately about 11 years ago. And Colby came to, to our office and, with his mom. And he had a bit of an issue at the time. Colby was a phenomenal high school athlete later on into college and where he, like many college athletes, endured a, a fairly severe injury. And based on that injury, was given prescription medicine by his doctor. And uh, Colby, I'm going to let you step in from now and take us from that point and where that decision took you. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. It started. Yeah. Like I said, it all started. I played sports throughout my whole life. When I was a kid, my parents thought it was important to get me involved. So I loved it. So I played basketball, soccer, uh, but lacrosse was like my, my go-to. That's what I excelled at. I did really well in in high school. I was lucky to get like a partial scholarship to play in college. It was division three, but it was still, they paid for half of my tuition, which is pretty cool. And I remember the game pretty well, actually. I got in the middle of the game. I was a midfielder, so I'd be running back up and down the field. And I got tabletopped by a couple defensive linemen. When I say tabletop, like I was running. And one guy came up behind me and got low so that he was his shoulder was hitting my knees. And then another guy in front of me cross-checked me from the top. So my body folded backwards. And that resulted in a pretty bad lower back injury. Luckily, I didn't like mess anything up long-term, but it's what started my addiction with pills. I went to go see a doctor. And at that time, that was 2010, 2011, they were writing out prescriptions for that stuff. Yeah. It was, like it was Advil. Remember the first time I went, he gave me, I think it was 60 or 90 of the Perk 30s, which are, I call them the, the blues, which I'm sure some people uh, call them that too. And then from there, after that first time, I remember the first blue that I took. I wouldn't say, it, it, up to that point in my life, I had done some drugs and I drank. I would say I abused things pretty heavily, but I was always able to maintain like some balance in my life, whether it was getting what I had to get done with practice, with school, with papers. Nothing that I took, cocaine or drinking, it, ever, it never felt like this romantic relationship like it did the first time I did a blue I remember distinctly doing the first taking the first one and I was just hanging out in my house and I started to melt back in my chair and I was like I remember thinking so vividly I was like wow where has this been my whole life and wow it just I melted into the couch I felt amazing it was like a romance like I fell in love with that feeling I felt and, and at first, honestly, it was fucking awesome at first. I, w I felt like Superman. I felt like I could do anything. I could play uh, lacrosse without having any kind of... I know they affect people differently, but they gave me a lot of energy. They made me feel... They didn't make me down and tired. It had the like, effect of like a, an Adderall or something, but times 10. It's really weird. It's hard to describe. Um, but it just... It took off... Really bad from there, from the very first prescription that I got. I remember I ran out of 90 pills, 60 or 90 pills early. Uh, so, you know, 60 or 90 pills in less than 30 days. And I went back to get more, and it was like a week early, and they wrote me another prescription, no problem. And then that's that prescription, the second one I did, that one I ran out early as well. And they wouldn't fill the prescription for me. 
So I was like, all right, whatever. I got to wait like a week. But that was the first time that I started to experience like withdrawals and what that was like. And I had, at first I had no idea what was happening. I, I thought I had a really bad flu or I was just really sick. And it wasn't until I was able to get the prescription filled that I realized like that my body was already very physically dependent on it. And from that point on, it was just, it was, it got really bad. It got really bad. A lot of, a lot of stealing, a lot of lying, a lot of. How long did it take? How long did it take you to go from, because you said it went really quick. Mm -hmm. How long do you think now that you sit here, you have 11 years of sobriety, so you're, you you can judge fairly well, Mm -hmm. but how long do you think it took you from that one romantic meeting with that blue to when you say to yourself, yeah, I was physically addicted to this. Oh, probably two, three weeks. Because within that first month, I would wake up in the morning and feel weird. And I, but at the time, I didn't know. I didn't even know withdrawals were a thing. I had no idea how any of this worked. So I just figured, uh, I don't know, I'll just take another one and I'll feel better anyway. So who cares? But I remember when I would wake up in the morning, I would just feel not right. And if I look back on it now, yeah, two weeks. Uh, if that, maybe even sooner. I'm not really sure. But yeah, at least two weeks. It happened really fast. And it went from zero to 100 within three to four months. The lying, the cheating, the stealing, because I was running out of the prescriptions early. So when I run out early, I got to come up with money somehow. And I'm just a broke college kid. I don't have a fucking job or I have literally nothing. I started to deal drugs for a little while, just small amounts of marijuana just to feed that addiction and keep it going. And eventually it, it led me to you. I think that only took a year or two. Yeah, before my mom, my family, God bless her soul. The shit that I put my mother through is really what still bothers me to this day. And it's one of the reasons I've come on here to talk to you to maybe even just reach one person. Um, Because the trauma, even to this day, she's still, if I don't answer one of her texts, like relatively soon, she'll, she'll get very antsy and just very, what's going on? Is everything okay? And that's just from trauma that I put her through when... I wouldn't answer her for days at a time and her thinking I'm fucking dead somewhere uh, in a ditch or in an alley or just worst case scenario. That's the stuff that really sticks with me to this day is just thinking about what I put my mom through, my sister, my dad, but my mom especially because she was relentless at making sure that I was going to be okay and to get me help and to do whatever needed to be done to to get me in a safe place and get me the, the help I needed. So when, when I when I met your mom, she was a pretty tough cookie. Oh my God, man. She is, she's an animal. She is a yep. spiritual animal who just, no matter what it was, she never gave up on me. She never stopped believing in me. And it's not too many people at that time believed in me. And it's, it's, I don't think about it that often anymore, but sitting here talking with you and it brings up some emotions for sure it should you were very lucky to have your mom oh my god i'd probably be dead without her i you i assure you that you would without a doubt if i didn't have her in my corner i never would have listened to anybody and i would have been i would have wound up dead somewhere i can guarantee that when when i first met with your mom and she told me that she wanted me to help you she did tell me that you were a tough nut to crack (laughs) 
Oh, at the time, I was just this arrogant, titled, egotistical little prick who I thought I knew it all. There wasn't a fucking thing anybody could tell me because I already knew it, and I know what I needed to do. I'm just not doing it yet and making up every excuse in the book. And you know, I was a real piece of shit when I was growing up. And if it wasn't if it wasn't for her, I, I really believe I'd not be alive today. And thank God that I am because I have a lot of great things in life going on. And yeah, it's all because of her. I want to go. I want to go back. You said something interesting when you were describing that first pill. You describe you described it in terms of a, of a relationship. That's how, that's how it felt to me. Yeah. I had, it's, I, I was talking to somebody last week and it was one of my partners that I, she's an LCSW and I, she and I work a lot together mm-hmm. and neither of us were ever addicted to opiates, but mm-hmm. both of us had been addicted to alcohol mm-hmm. and both of us would describe our sort of relationship with alcohol mm-hmm. and how it it seemed to be different than other people's relationship. Like how you say this stuff was energizing for me. It was. That's to me, that's that opposite. Cause I've had to take Percocet for my, well, I think wisdom teeth. Mm-hmm. Another time I took like a, a codeine pill for something I heard, but I never liked opiates. Mm-hmm. I never, probably because I had a typical response to them, which sure. they just, they made me feel catatonic. Mm like I was completely out of it. And that's not the way I like to feel at all. So I never liked that feeling. Mm -hmm. However, when I was talking to my friend, she was telling me about somebody just like you that she was counseling. And the person had described the first time that they had taken, I think it was Percodan or Percocet, something. Yeah. But it was an opiate. And the lady said for the first, she said, she described the feeling as this. It was the first time that I ever felt truly loved by anything. <laughs> that I feel that in my bones. I really wow. do. Yeah, I really do. That it, that's how it was. It felt like a, a serious romantic relationship to me. And that was, to be honest, dude, that was one of the hardest parts about actually getting so – I mean, don't get me wrong, like just stopping – which I have a funny story to tell you about that I don't, I'll get back to what I was going to say. So I had an especially hard time when I, when I first met you, when I called you an asshole, told you to fuck off, whatever. <laughs> and then we, I eventually, a week later, whatever it was, I, yeah. you told me I was going to be fucked if I didn't go to, go to rehab and get that charge wiped off my record. So that was why I listened to you. When I went to that place. Hanley's been a great place. A lot of great people, counselors there. They were fucking awesome. When I went there, this is how egotistical I was at the time and how I tried to scheme and, and do all this shit. When I first got there, I thought that if I told the nurses, the doctors, the people working there, that if I didn't need subutex, like this is all a mistake. Like I'm not really that addicted. I thought that I would be able to get out of there early. So when I got there, I told them I didn't need Suboxone or I, I didn't need anything because I was only doing like a pill a day. I, I don't really think I should be here. And at the time they were like, yeah, yeah, okay, sure. So three days in, I am hurting really bad and I'm practically in the doctor's office begging him for something. And I was like, I fucking lied. 
my addiction is so bad. Please give me something. And they were like, you're already three days into it. You got to just get over the hump. Ride so it out. I, I had, I had, cause you know, usually when you go, they'll give you that stuff for a week or 10 days or whatever. So I had an especially hard time detoxing at first because I just went completely cold turkey and I didn't sleep for probably two weeks. But it didn't feel, it felt like I hadn't slept for two weeks. Like I would close my eyes, but I felt conscious and I would jump up and I'd be in sweats. And the, oh my God. Talking about it, it feels like, <laughs> talking about it feels like a fucking nightmare. That's how bad and I've been through a lot in my life. And still to this day, nothing conquers going through opiate withdrawals. It's by far the worst thing I've ever experienced in my life. And that's why I think it's hard for a lot of people to quit. It's just fucking brutal and it lasts for so long. So I completely understand. But on that note, the reason I had such a hard time uh, staying clean after going through all the detox and all the everything is because I felt like I was like mourning somebody that I had lost. Yeah. And that, that mourning being that relationship that I had with, with Blues because they never let me down. They were there for me when I needed me. It was really it's, it's fucking weird to say it out loud, but... That's how I understood it, and that's how I, um, that's just how it was for me personally. And at first, it was hard because getting high was all that I knew how to do. I didn't really know how to do anything else. I could play, I knew how to play lacrosse pretty good, but I'm kicked out of college at this point, and I'm not going to be a professional fucking lacrosse player. And getting to that point, like just figuring out what my purpose is, what am I good at? What are my, because I, I had nothing, I had no skills, never really had a, a legitimate job. I would work summer jobs for my dad's friend's paving company, but I was trying to figure out like who I am and who I'm supposed to be. And that was really probably the hardest part for me was just figuring that stuff out because I just didn't know how to do anything else besides scheme and get high at that point. It just, it sucked me in for the last couple of years and I felt like that was like my identity. So when that's taken away from me, it's like, I have no idea what the fuck I'm doing right now, which is why Isn't thankfully it? I met some good people and I trusted them with my life for a little bit and they helped me along. You, so you, you had said that your whole life, all you really had done was lying and scheming, but mm -hmm. that really isn't true. That is a very small window of your life. And so I, what I want you to, to think about is and, and discuss this because it is our, yours and mine. It, it's our goal to, if somebody's watching this and they have a, a son or a daughter who might be similarly situated, a great athlete who got hurt and needs some motivation and really needs a beacon of light. You, you did have a, a really supportive and fine family and you had a lot of years of success and education and upbringing and your athletics and your academics and all of those things. Do you think that those probably had a lot to do with your ability to turn away from that relationship with that blue? Well, a hundred percent, not even in question. It's just, if it wasn't for my family being there for me when I really needed them, when there were people in my family too who, when my name showed up in the newspaper, they didn't want anything to do with me anymore. So really it was just my mom and my dad straight away for a little bit, 
my sister strayed away for a little bit. They came around eventually. I put them through a lot of shit. And I understood that at the time. If it wasn't for my mom specifically, she was calling every day, texting every day, flying down there to come visit me. And then thankfully, like I said, my dad and my sister came around after some time, but I fucking traumatized them. I, and I, and thankfully, like I said at the time, I had a clear understanding of that. I've always, one of the things I've been lucky to have is just like an ability to understand what's happened, like how my actions have affected people. That sounds like a basic thing, but I feel like I have been lucky in my life to understand deeply how my actions have affected people. So I let them be for a little bit, but they came around, but really the first year I was in Florida and this is what I would advise anybody to do that. If you make the smart choice, the right choice to go down there after somebody meets you, surround yourself with good people. Because if I, there are plenty of people down there that don't really take shit seriously. They don't care. They're just there for whatever reason. Maybe they haven't been around the ringer long enough or haven't been knocked down enough times or whatever the case is. But thankfully, I I met a lot of really good people because of our mutual friend, Ben. I don't know if you've talked to him lately, but he's great. I got Ben to sponsor me, really great guy, a lot of time clean at the time. He had 15 years at the time now. I think he's about 20 or 25, something like that. Yeah, he's got a little bit more than me. <laughs> yeah, so he's been, I, I found someone that had been around for a while, clearly had done something right. And from him, I was able to meet, I met my best friend who's going to be the godfather to my child pretty soon. So that's how, that's how close I am with him. But yeah, surrounding yourself with the right people who are doing the right thing and even just trying to do the right thing. Because it, it's hard at first. Like, I, man, I really had my days uh, those first six months to a year where I was just contemplating what the fuck am I even doing? Nothing's getting better. I feel like I'm going crazy, but I just stuck it out and kept listening to what people told me to do. I took my ego completely out of myself because I thought I was a hot shot big shit. And I took that away and just started listening to everybody around me. And I, I think looking back on it, did me a lot of good. That was probably another thing that saved my life at the time too. What, what for anybody watching, if, can you tell them that specifically that you did to be able to, cause I'll let everybody know in case everybody wants it, but you're originally from Connecticut like me. And we went down to Florida to the Hanley center for treatment. And uh, you met a, a lot of people that I knew as well and and i do remember them contacting me that first week and saying oh yeah this one's a tough nut to crack (laughs) (laughs) they said he's a hurt he's a hurting unit he doesn't want to take any suboxone i'm like i didn't take any ativan when i got down there because i i had done the same thing i said nah i haven't been drinking all that much and they're like you won't need any ativan and oh boy for five days i couldn't sleep i couldn't do anything and then finally for myself it was father skip flynn and Father Skip came into my, I, I think I was up at 4.30. Right. And uh, he had walked by the men's unit and I was there and he said, what are you doing up? And I said, I can't sleep. And he said, well, come to the gym with me. And he went to the gym at five o'clock in the morning and five o'clock at night every day, twice a day he worked out. And so I, he told me, you work out with me at five o'clock every morning that you can't sleep. And then you work out with me at five o'clock at night. I guarantee you within 24 hours, you'll be asleep. Oh, and yeah. I did three workouts and I, I slept for probably 16 hours. And I remember everybody letting me sleep because they knew that I had, I, I yeah. needed it. But, <laughs> yeah. but I had done that to myself. I did the same thing. But you know but, what? That I, I think 
things work out the way they're supposed to work out because just with my experience with that, I remember that detox very vividly because it's the worst thing I've ever been through in my life. And yeah. I think a lot of times when I was very tempted to go pick up again, I thought about that. And I remembered if I do this one time, we all know, damn, it's not going to be one time. It'll be five, 10, 20. Now I don't know how many times now I'm waking up sick. It's inevitable for me. So there were a lot of times, even in my life in the last couple of years, some of the things I've been through in training and stuff, I would think about what I went through and that physical pain that my body went through from withdrawing and I would apply it to my life. And it's actually helped me a lot to go back and think of that and remember just how fucking bad it is because it is awful. I've been through a lot, been through a lot of shit, been through a lot of training regimens and all kinds of stuff. It's by far the worst and it's not even right. And the, the odd thing is that I get a lot of alcoholics and, and they'll say, my hangovers aren't all that bad. Mm. And when it comes to taking people to rehab, what a lot of alcoholics don't understand is they think that people going through opiate withdrawal are in physical danger. And I said, well, no, they're not actually in, physical, in any real physical danger of dying while they're withdrawing. They yeah. are while they're using. Right. They just, they, what happens is it just shuts down all of, of your neural receptors and mm -hmm. you stop feeling really anything. Yep. Yeah, and so all of a sudden, all of that gets turned on again and it's just, right. you get overwhelmed with all these sensations. Yep. With alcoholics, it's almost the opposite where you, when they're going down to rehab, you, you really don't want them to stop drinking because of the chances they can go have a grand mal seizure. Yep. And and I've seen the effects of that, not personally with anybody that I've represented, but I have in a meeting met a few people who have had grand mal seizures and they are devastating. Let's just put yeah, it that I way. I can imagine they're probably really fucking scary. It sounds awful. Yeah. After you finish rehab, mm -hmm. you then had a choice pretty much every day for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. What are you going to do? I'd like just in a brief synopsis, just let people... No, and don't make it sound like it was a piece of cake from where you were then to where you are now. But if, because where you are now is something pretty extraordinary. And, and I just wanted to tell you before you tell anybody how proud I am of you and how much and how grateful I am and our country is for everything that you're doing for us. So why don't you let people know what you did when you left rehab? And I know that you said I did every single thing that somebody, that people told me to do. Yeah, And that's pretty much my story as well. When I finished a year chip, I mm -hmm. went back down to Hanley Yeah, and I just happened to be bringing at the time, I think it was my fifth person mm -hmm. back down to rehab. And I was picking up my one year chip and I, they had said, we're going to ask you how you did it. And I remember leaving the facility and calling up father skip and just saying, they want to know how I did it. And the answer is I, I, I don't really know. <laughs> I, cause I didn't, I, I didn't know how I made it a year. I, I really didn't. And I, and I remember him saying, oh, well, that's easy. One word, obedience. Yep. And I, I went, really wow. Agree. Yeah. If you can do what other people tell you to for a year, you absolutely can stay sober for a year. Yep. Um, with, obedience with that, in with a little discipline. I no, that's it. That's it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's all. But go ahead and let everybody know what you did. Because sure, yeah. you got the coolest story and don't try to poo-poo it. Cause I want to hear you were in Hawaii. I want the whole story. Sure. Yeah. At that point, I, 
after I first got to Florida, I think I'd been here for maybe three years or so. And I just was like, to be honest, at the time, I didn't really feel like I had things figured out. I still felt really antsy. I felt like I was just like, more of the story, I was trying to figure out what my purpose was just in life in general and what the hell I'm supposed to be doing here. Because like I said, after I've not been getting high for two, three years, some people adjust really well. Some people start working for a lot of the rehabs down there or doing this and that. And it's what made them really happy. And I just, at the time, I just hadn't found that thing that made me really happy. And I was searching for it. And so I started a good friend of mine that I had from college who was like on the good side. He wasn't like someone that I really partied with. He wasn't a partier. He was just a good friend that I had up there. I saw that he was living down in Hawaii at the time on Oahu, and I was looking at the pictures of it on his Instagram, and I was like, holy shit, man. That looks like something on the postcard. It looks beautiful down there. I've always loved the ocean, loved the beach. Need to be by the beach, need to be in the sun. That's like my opiates now. It gives me life to just be somewhere sunny and warm. So I talked to him for a little bit, maybe about, this happened very quick. <laughs> it was very sporadic. Um, my mom was a little worried at the time because she was like, what are you doing? That's really impulsive. Hard. Yeah. Sure you want to do this? I was young at the time. I was 23, 24 years old. And I was like, mom, I'm, I, I remember telling her, having a long conversation about it. I was like, look, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to figure it out. I have no idea what I'm doing. I can't find anything that makes me happy. So I, after about, it only took about a month or two before I pulled the trigger. I packed up all my shit, which I didn't have a lot of. I sold my car. And I booked a flight down there and it was a long ass flight. It took me like 12 hours to get down there, but I moved down there. Didn't have a job lined up, which was pretty stupid at the time. <laughs> but luckily I found one pretty quick. I worked on like a, a diving charter boat. I got uh, certified to scuba dive, which down there it, only, it didn't take long. It was only about three weeks. And I was living with my buddy who I went to college with. He had a nice little two bedroom apartment. No, it worked out really perfect because... When I was thinking about coming, he his roommate was just moving out, so it's like the it just worked out. The stars aligned, and I I just went down. I started working on a diving charter boat, um, so I got to meet people from all over the world, people from Japan, Australia, Europe, China, all over the world. I would meet people because they would come vacation, and I don't know if people realize, but Hawaii is like when I was first going there, I thought it was like just a little bit off the coast of California. Like I didn't really realize how far <laughs> into the Pacific Ocean it was. I probably should have looked at it on a map before I picked up and moved my whole life back to But it's right. like right in the middle of the Pacific between the United States and like Australia, China, all those places. So I was working on a boat and I fucking loved it. It was, I have some of the best memories of my life being out on that boat besides now with my beautiful wife and my child on the way but yeah man i met people from all over the world went surfing for the first time i didn't have a car for a while i bought a moped so i would just moped around town in downtown waikiki it was awesome man it gave me a lot of fulfillment it made me feel just when you meet people from all over the world you get a good perspective on how other people live how other people think and at the same time, it gave me an opportunity to travel to a lot of countries that I had never thought that I would ever go to. I think I went to nine or ten different countries. I went to Philippines, Japan, 
Australia. Wanted to go to New Zealand. That's still on my bucket list uh, one day. Uh, and then some of the other islands like Maui and oh my god, man, it's just, it really is like looking at something out of a postcard, just like looking at the mountains and the beach and you know the oh, yeah. black sand beaches, red sand beaches, green sand beaches. It's the turtles, the wildlife. It's I remember watching your Instagram feed. Yeah. And getting very angry with you that your yeah, life yeah. is better than mine. <laughs> That's and it was very quickly better than mine. Um, yeah, was, I, I, I would have pictures of me me going to work in snow, like brown snow with like oh, salt yeah. everywhere, disgusting. I don't miss and then that. you would and then that. you would post like you in some sort of a fishing canoe with some sort of a bluefin tuna that you were yeah, pilling. Yeah, yeah. It was really annoying. And so yeah. thank you for annoying the heck out of me for yeah, about no five years of my life. I live to do it, man. I live to do it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I had some uh, amazing memories then. Um, yeah, I learned how to spearfish. I would go spearfishing on the weekends just for fun. Yep, I remember that. Yeah swimming with just be being out there swimming by one of the reefs and a wild pot of dolphins will just swim by you it's fucking it's unbelievable if you ever get the chance or not talking to you but uh i don't know if have you been there before no nah, nah, oh never. man dude never. just before you kick the bucket one day you gotta take <laughs> the out there, it's i'm telling you man it's you go there and you see it and and even going to pearl harbor seeing all the history that happened yeah. there it's it's really, it's really amazing. I had a great three years there. No, really, the worst thing about me being there was one really bad relationship that I was in at the time. That was probably the worst part about it, and that only lasted for a month. The other th three years, or however many months that is, it was, oh man, I haven't been back, but I want to take, I want to take my life back one day soon. But she doesn't want to go because it's super far, so we'll, we'll figure it out. Um, yeah, it is, it is, it is the half a world away. Yep, very far. It's it's worth it. I had a great three years there, and then I started to get island fever a little bit. Um, they call yep. it island fever because you're on this you're on a really tiny island. And there's only so much you can do. I started to get antsy. I I'd been away from family friends for a long time during those three years. I think I only flew home like once or twice, um, just because it's a really long ride and it's really expensive for a plane ticket. Um, so I only visited home a couple times, but I was feeling like I had done everything I needed to do up to that point. Um, I feel like it served its purpose for me. So I had a great time. Loved it. Came back to Florida um, for a couple of years. Uh, started working at like a marketing company where we would get businesses put on Google. So I went from being outside in the ocean every day to being back in a, being back in an office. And, uh, and it just... It's just not for me. It, it was a great job. It had great benefits. The pay was good. But just on the inside, I felt like I was slowly just wasting away, you know. During and, during this during this time, how are you maintaining your sobriety? Oh, always going to the, going to meetings. And I would call Ben a lot, uh, who stayed my sponsor for, for a long time. Call uh, <coughs> people around me just to check in. Even when I was there in Hawaii, too. Meetings there... <laughs> The meetings there are fucking unbeatable. Out on the beach with the sunsets. Um, I told you this. I told you that. I yeah, told you yeah. I, when I first met you. I said you could stay up here in Connecticut and you could go to a meeting with me with a yeah. guy that smells like diesel fuel and another guy that doesn't have all his teeth in his face. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> or as I told you, I said, or you could go down to Florida and you could go yeah. to meetings on the beach with girls in bikinis. 
And yeah, I remember that, the twenty year the twenty year old kid that you were, you went <laughs> and and you did not believe me. You did you not believe was, me. All you had to say was chicks and bikinis and I was there. I mean, you know. Yes, it was. So yeah. So yeah, so I come back, I'm doing that, and I get back to the whole thing of like I don't feel like what I'm doing is what I'm supposed to be doing. And I felt really off. And like I said, I feel like everything happens for a reason. I always say now, I wish I would have joined the military when I was this age now. Um, but at the time, uh, you know, when I was 20, 21, I, I really think that if I had joined at that time, I would have gotten into some serious trouble. Um, just because there's a certain lifestyle that comes along with guys who join and they're younger guys and they're you know guys like the party it's like being back in it's like the feeling of being back in college a little bit for the first time and feeling like you're let loose that's how it is for a lot of these guys i'm on the older side to to have joined when i did but those guys they didn't go to college so they're here and they have free reign when they're not at work to do whatever they want and they're getting paid which Kids in college usually aren't really, don't really have too much money. Things work out for a reason, I think, because at the time, and even my mom says the same thing. She thinks that I would have got, probably gotten into some trouble. Things could have ended very badly. So thankfully, it worked out the way it did. But so like I said, I'm at this job marketing for a couple of years. Great job. I decided I wanted to go to a new, new gym. I've always thought exercise was really important and always tried to stay in shape. And I go to a new gym. I meet this guy who's... He's a beast. And I was like, dude, you're fucking big, man. And I didn't say that. It sounds weird. But I remember I said something to him. And we ended up becoming buddy. And we started lifting together. And I was like, and I never asked him after working out with him a few times. I was like, so what, what do you do? What's, what do you do for work? He's like, oh, I'm a recruiter. I'm a special warfare recruiter for uh, the United States Navy. And I was like, no shit. That sounds really cool. What do you, what kind of contracts? What, what do you do? He's, we get people to try out. And we offer them contracts to be a SEAL, to be a SWIC uh, guy, which is like a Navy Special Forces unit, the divers. And then he said, we have, and then he said the last one, which is a search and rescue swimmer. And I was like, oh, okay, that sounds, I'd been a really good swimmer my whole life, all the time in Hawaii that I had spent. When I tell you I was at the beach swimming almost every day, almost every day after work, I would, because the there was a beach called Sandy's that was five minutes down the road from my house. I could throw a a fucking rocket from where I lived. So I would be there almost every day and that was where we all hung out. So at that time, I was a great swimmer. Uh, one thing I've been blessed with besides being good at sports is being good at swimming. I was like, that sounds really interesting. Can you tell me more about it? So we started going into detail, how they do all kinds of cool stuff. They do humanitarian aid when uh, there's like a natural disaster, like a hurricane or something. We would go in, we could help people. And then again, the last thing he said was, but the biggest thing that the, the rescue swimmers do is counter narcotics. I was yeah. like, oh, really? Okay. So now I, I was playing it cool when I was talking to him, but in my mind, I'm like, oh, okay. Th that just, that's real. And that's something that, that's something that I have a lot of personal experience with. Yeah. Uh, I remember when he said that, when he said the counter narcotics, I really locked in. And I was like, I made the decision in my mind at that moment. As soon as he said that, I was like, and still having the belief that things happen for a reason. I locked in and I was like, I didn't say it, but I thought it in my mind of, uh, that's what I'm going to be. Uh, I'm going to do that. 
And I played it cool and I was like, all right, I was 29 at the time. Thankfully, again, they, they have a cutoff age for 30 years old. I made it by one year. And I was like, all right, let's, how do I proceed if this is something I want to do? So remember within a couple of weeks, I, I did a tryout. It's called like a PRT. So they have you run a couple miles, do some push-ups, 500 meter swim, sit-ups, and they time. They time how fast you are on the run and how many push-ups, pull-ups, whatever you can do. And thankfully, my times were good for my age, a little bit above average. So they offered me the contract that I wanted. They offered me a diver contract too, but I didn't want that. I, I knew what I wanted right when he told, was telling me all the info about it. So I said, yeah, I, I want that contract. And it did take a while too. It took two months for them to offer me the contract because it, it gets a little competitive. There's a lot of people that, that try out for it. Not just that, but they, they want to be a SEAL or, or do whatever. Those guys are those guys are nuts. So I, I got the contract and, and then it was only a couple months after that I signed a six-year contract to join the military. It's probably one of the best decisions. Besides getting clean and me meeting my wife and deciding to have a baby, it's, it's probably the third best decision I've ever made in my life, but it's definitely up there. And it was really difficult. The first, I actually just graduated from the whole program. It's like a it's like an 18-month training pipeline. The first six to nine months, very physical. Waking up at three or four in the morning, going running, running 10, 12, 15 miles on the beach. Push-ups in the sand. They're kicking sand in your face, telling you you're not worth shit. And those are the moments where I would be thinking about my opiate withdrawals a lot when my body was just hurting so bad. And I felt like I wanted to give up so many times. Thinking about that is... It, Really, it's what helped me make it through all of that stuff. And it's really rigorous. It's not easy, especially being my age. I'm competing with a lot of guys that are 21, 22, 23, built really well. But thankfully, the advantage I had was a little bit of life experience. I'd been through a lot. So for me, it fucking sucked. My body was aching every day, but I'd been through worse. So that was what I compared it to. And I thought, if I made it through that, I can definitely make it through this. And I just graduated actually three weeks ago from it. And we started out with 55 or 60 guys, something like that, in the program initially from being in Pensacola. We started in Pensacola, I'm finishing here in Jacksonville. 55, 60 guys, and eight of us graduated two weeks ago. So that is amazing. That is yeah, amazing. Definitely one of the better accomplishments I've ever had, just for me personally, that I've ever made. Stop being humble. That's pretty no, amazing. I mean, it, you are. I think about it often now. I talked about it with my mom a month ago of where I was 10 years ago. On the brink of death, not having a thing to my name, a nickel to my name, to now I have the career that I feel like I'm really passionate about. I have what I feel like I'm here on this earth to be doing. I have a beautiful wife. We're about to have a baby in March. A beautiful home. We got a little puppy. It's not in my wildest dreams when I think back to that time when I was a young kid, 21, 22, running around, um, just telling me to go fuck myself. <laughs> yeah, telling me to go fuck yourself and, and thinking I knew it all and really just. And, that, and now you have a job, a career, yeah. a wife, a child, a dog, a house. All you need is a Volvo, man. And you. Yeah, you no, no. I got a Jeep. I drive a Jeep. So, no, I don't need a Volvo. I'm good, I'm good with my Jeep. I got my Jeep. But uh, yeah, man, I've, I feel like I couldn't ask for anything more in my life. I have more than I ever thought that I would ever have. 
and and it's the base of that is having a really loving, supporting family that didn't give up on me, um, being around really good people, and just listening to what other people told me to do. I literally didn't do anything I wanted to do for that first year. Nothing that I, I didn't want to go to meetings. I didn't want to read the book. I didn't want to do any of that fucking bullshit. I really didn't. <laughs> I promised you I didn't want to do any of it. But I, I just listened for once in my fucking life at that point to what other people told me. And it did me a lot of good. I, I have everything I could ever. I never thought I would have this. Never. I really didn't. I was pretty sure at that time that I was going to die within a few years anyways. So I was just riding like lightning and ready to crash like thunder any given moment. And I, I have everything I could have ever wanted now because of those three things. Buddy, I can't figure out a better way to end than that. I, was, <laughs> I, I literally, I was going to ask you to end. I was going to, I was going to ask you to give some kid advice who's where you, where you were when yeah. you were 20 years old, but you, you just did that, which is um, be prepared to do what other people are telling you to do yeah. for a year. A yeah, year. And, and two, I don't want to paint this picture of everything is rainbows and unicorns all the time. Life comes up, things happen. I'm prepared to deal with them like a normal human being who can see a problem, understand what I have to do to, to fix it, not be afraid. Don't let the, I don't let the fear take over. And I just do the things I know I need to do. And it sounds really basic and, and it sounds really simple, but it's just little things like that. It's just made a huge difference for me. And I feel like it's hard, man. It feels like that was like a dream. Like it was something I read out of a book or something, the, the way I used to live. Cause it was really bad. You ask anybody that knew me at that time. And it was, <laughs> it was really, I was about as bad as you can get for someone who's not dead yet. It was, I looked like I was even dead. My I remember my face was like pale and my eyes were something. And I had these, I just looked like I looked horrible. And it's just, it's been a long ride. It's been a long ride. And, and those three things that I mentioned before, that's definitely what, what saved my life. I, I believe that 100% without a doubt. Colby, man, thank you. Hey, man, thank you for, for It's always thank, great to see you. Thank you for being on. Thank you for your service. And, and thank you for continuing to be a, a, an inspiration for me and trying to help other kids down the road, trying to save their lives and, and make a good and make a good life for themselves. Thank no you problem, for everything man. that you do, man. Anything you ever need, you help save my life. Whatever you need, I'll, I'll be there. Whatever you tell me to do, I'll do it. All right. I love you like a brother. All right. Love you too, buddy. All right. See you, man. See ya.